Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. But one of the things I mentioned that statement I think is important to point out. You know, the reality is uh, a Republican, a D.C. jury would indict a ham sandwich and convict a ham sandwich if it was a Republican ham sandwich. I think uh, Americans need to be able to remove cases out of D.C. I think the juries are stacked. I think that they're going to want to convict people that they disagree with. Or at a minimum, you should be able to draw a jury pool from across the entire country. That is really uh, what's at stake in terms of do we have a single standard of justice uh, or do we have a track of justice where if you're connected to the swamp, you get off, whether it's Hunter Biden, whether it was the guy Durham tried to prosecute, uh, or are we going to live under a single rule of law? And I think we have to reestablish a single rule of law in this country. This is The Middle with Anthony Weiner. Unplugged. Welcome to episode 42 of The Middle Unplugged, a break in the middle of the week when we reclaim the microphone from the far left and the far right and try to carve out some time for a less shrill and less extreme and generally less angry conversation. So those of you who listen to my radio show, The Middle, you heard that I was a little bit hot and bothered the way often lawyers have come on to talk about the various Trump indictments, but particularly the last one, and seem more interested in talking about everything but what's in that indictment. And I painted with a pretty broad brush, but I figured it's time to hear from a lawyer who does not fall into that category, someone who is of substance, who can speak from a couple of interesting perspectives. I'm really pleased to be joined this week by Arthur Idala. Those of you who listen to the radio show and listen to WBC Radio hear his voice a lot on with Sid in the morning. He is the managing partner of Idala, Bertuna, and Cayman's law firm. He is a defense lawyer, someone who practices in the state, someone who practices in the federal bar. And also, he is my competitor because he is the host of the Arthur Idala Power Hour, Monday through Friday, 6 o'clock on AM 970, The Answer. Arthur, thanks for joining us. Yeah, I don't know if I'm really your competitor, considering John Katsimatidis has the lead-in to my show. On, on That's my, true. Uh, But it's also, you know, when you look at these books and the numbers and you try to measure how you're doing, really, you're only concerned about who's against you on the die at that day part at two o'clock. I don't even know who it is. My problem is is um, is when the Mets are playing well, I have tough competition because the Mets are usually playing or the Yankees are playing. Now that they both stink, my ratings have gone up. So I feel really good about it. Yeah, and it's. It's sad from where the the season began and the high hopes are for both teams. I mean, the Yankees getting Aaron Judge and the, the Mets getting Verlander, and they're it's almost as bad as the Brooklyn Nets that's, <laughs> last year. That's exactly it. that shows what happens when you try to put together super teams. But let me ask you a little bit. You know, I've heard and I encourage you know your your show is on in in podcasts just like mine is I encourage folks to go listen to your insights because they're very interesting. Let me talk primarily about the the most recent indictment of Donald Trump because I think that's the one that asks us to think about the biggest questions about our government because you know this isn't a matter of hand mishandling a document. It's not a, a this is a function of really trying to corrupt the very processes of government. And I have heard two, defenses raised by the president, uh, President Trump's uh, supporters, one more substantive than the other. One I 
took a run at last week, this notion that he has a right of speech, that he had a right to say, listen, I think this election is stolen. The second one seems like a more interesting one where he says, look, I was just listening to smart people. This guy Eastman is an academic. Rudy Giuliani is a former U.S. attorney. Does that seem to you like the better of the two defenses? Does it sound like one that might be easier for Donald Trump to make stick in this in this case? Yes. The answer to your question is yes. But uh, I just want to make clear that the Florida case is just a stronger case. It's an easier case to prove, even though he's got a friendly judge and a friendly jurisdiction. You're not you're not allowed to lie to the feds, period. Amen. You can lie to the New York NYPD. That's okay. You cannot lie to the FBI. You cannot lie on a federal subpoena, which is what's going on in Florida. Here, and so I have no idea what the defense is going to be down there. And the superseding part of it in Florida has gotten even worse because he's alleged to have basically told people to erase things. And and I mean, that's really, really nasty on a personal level. I understand what you're talking about on a more macro level regarding our government, which is a little more scary. Um, you know, you you can even if you believe what you're saying is true, there are times when if you say that to the FBI, et cetera, it could still be a crime if you knew or should have, or at least you should have known that it was not true. And it seems like, according to the indictment, and I, I have um, a synopsis of it here, of all 45 pages, he knew, like, he's not going to have a good faith basis to say what I was saying uh, I believed it to be true. I, I, I just don't see him crossing the finish line with that. And I know people listen to WABC and this and, the, you know, the Salem Media Network. Like, they don't want to hear that. But this is what I do. Like, this is how I put food on the table for my family. And it has been for a couple of decades now. They don't bring these kinds of charges against anyone, including Donald Trump, unless and until they are so confident in their position. Um, they would rather not bring charges at all than bring charges and lose. Um, so they know who their witnesses are. They know how those witnesses come across when they're being cross-examined inside the U.S. Attorney's Office by prosecutors. And that is what has taken place. And I believe that Donald Trump's going to have a real uphill battle. He, he, he can't say, I relied on Rudy Giuliani and I relied on this other person, whoever that may be, when he has eight other people telling him, no, that's not true. No, that's not true. But what is the, but does, does his state of mind matter though in the interference with the, with the government processes charge? Like this idea that he got in the way of the, uh, of the, the government function of counting electoral votes. Remember a, a thousand some odd of his followers, they were found guilty even though they might have believed in their heart of hearts that the election was stolen, they were found guilty of interfering with the government process there. That's what Trump is charged. At least one of these counts, it doesn't matter what his state of mind is. If he was if he was lying to, to state officials and saying, making up stories to try to get them to stop this and, and or threatened uh, Pence as a way of interfering with the process of government, it almost doesn't matter what his state of mind is, does it? I I believe you are correct. I don't believe certain crimes in, in the law, intent is a requirement and others they're not. There's strict liability uh, crimes. I think, I look, I didn't read all thousand cases of the people who were convicted on January 6th, but many of them, it's just because they 
cross the threshold of being inside there. It's there's not an intent. You don't need to prove intent for basically trespass, and that trespasses causes the interference of a government activity. So I I just think that there's going to be. And again, Anthony, I know that you know you and I are probably in the mi- I know we are in the minority of people who you know tune in to talk radio in general saying this, but um, I think that the government is going to have a strong enough case, and it's a scary case because in our lifetimes, it's the only time. I mean, this has happened. Yes, you want to bring up Bush v. Gore, but that was all litigated, all in the courts of law, all on on written you know, motions and, and uh, briefs going up to the United States Supreme Court. This was totally different. This this wasn't. Well, this is, if, if you want to look at the Bush v. Gore analogy, this would be the Bush v. Gore case being resolved in the Supreme Court at Bush v. Gore. By the way, I was in the room for, if I was, when they, when that decision was handed down, I went to the Supreme Court to watch that. I was a member of Congress, but the equivalent would be the Supreme Court hands down this decision and Al Gore Sitting as the as the secretary as the uh, the president, president. pro temp as the president pro tempore of the Senate to count the, the vote, he says never mind. It's going to be me instead. That would be the equivalent. But let me ask you a little bit about how this broke down because I think for those of us who are I mean, not I, lawyers, I, I, I need to take a point of personal privilege. You got to tell me what it was like being in the courtroom when that decision was handed down. As you know, I'm, I love the Supreme Court. I love going there. I love watching well, the arguments. Here's the funny story. So you know how the cameras all, they're at the bottom of the steps in this case. Like literally everyone is waiting to see who's going to be the president of the United States. And it's very rare. You know, if there's a decision in the court, people are interested. They want to write about it. This was an instance where you were going to find out who the president was going to be. So what wound up happening is at the base of the of the um, the steps leading up to the Supreme Court were all these reporters and everyone trying to... So me being Anthony Weiner... For a brief moment, maybe 60 seconds, I had information that no one else had. So I went sprinting out. And this is a little, this is before really the internet was the thing. I went sprinting out and basically said, here's what the decision. I already had my line in my head about how outrageous it was and whatnot. Um, but it was, what was it was it like ex- in the courtroom itself. I don't really recall. I didn't have a lot of precedent for it. I hadn't been in there a lot. I think I went in there one other time for a redistricting case to see it argued. Um, but it was wait, it wasn't the when the judge announced it. Rehnquist, Rehnquist announced the decision. No, wait a minute. I'm I'm trying to remember if I was in there for the decision or for the arguments. Because yeah, I, I have to go back and, and check. There's video. Okay, of me. I apologize. There's video. There's, no, no, it's a great story. I should go back and and if I ever write my book, I should have the a chapter I that. Mean, in that's there. a bad, that is a tremendous, tremendous piece. But, of but let me, but let me, let me ask you a little bit about the TikTok of the co-conspirators. Now, I've heard a lot of this the 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 conventional wisdom that the co-conspirators are not charged here because. They didn't want to complicate the case and people would be making motions to sever and it would just take a longer time. But is it fair to say that if you're a co-conspirator in this case, you should be prepared for for the wrath of God to come down on your head? Right. Because there it doesn't. There are people, everyone who is in one of the co-conspirators, with the possible exception of the last one, were really actively in there as part of this. And if Donald Trump is going to say, well, co-conspirator number two told me this was okay." You really do have a case where the president is someone's going to have to turn on someone here, unless I've got that analysis wrong. 
No, I don't think you have it wrong. It's just so, look, I'm 55 years old. I've been doing the the, the federal stuff since I'm like 30, whatever. So it's like 25 years. This is just unlike any other case. Like I've never come across a case where there's six unindicted co-conspirators. There's sometimes one or, right. or two, but like never six. Like, no, they just, they charge everyone. And that's where, look, I'm part of the system. Like the way you were part of Congress and you would have to defend Congress or, you know, or be constructively critical of Congress. This is my system, right? This is how I make a living. And it, it's just so, this is just, and I understand it's the president of the United States. It's just so atypical of how things typically work. And again, there would never be six co-conspirators. There would be, and, and, those people, and look, I don't know, for open disclosure, I represent Rudy Giuliani, my firm does, but on his um, law license cases. So they're trying to take his law license away in New York and in Washington, D.C. We've had nothing to do with this. Obviously, we talked to Rudy, and so we have some idea, but I'm not going to get into that. But typically, yes, they would be calling these people in and saying, unless you flip, you're next. Like, unless you come in and you want to, you know, they, they don't they don't call them in. They reach out to their attorneys and say, you know, unless you come in and tell us what's going on or what went on or, you know, your side of the story, you know, you're going to be going to be indicted. And it's so easy, Anthony, to get an indictment in federal court, much easier than state court. All that has to happen is that one person, an FBI agent comes in and he tells their story and then they vote to indict or not indict. You don't have to well, let me- bring in witnesses. Yeah, let me ask that question. This um, one case, the documents case was brought in Florida. I think they, I don't know if they did anything in New Jersey or on Bedminster. I know the the most recent indictment was handed up in DC and there's a lot has been made of the venue. And my answer is, if you don't want a case in DC, don't do a crime in DC. But in this case, there has been a lot of made or who the judge is and who the, what, what, how is it determined who a judge would be in this case? Was did they pick an Obama judge because they wanted a tougher judge, or did this? How does this process work? It is probably, and I don't use this word lightly. It is, I hate to use the word corrupt, but it is. It is the least transparent. That's the nicest way I can put it. It is the least transparent method that I know of. I will, in, in a nutshell. I know you remember great old Abe Hirschfeld here in New York. When I tried his case, when I got wheeled out from the main judge to go to trial, to her credit, she took five judges' names. She wrote them on a piece of paper. We all saw them. She crumpled them up. She put them in a bingo wheel, and she pulled the judge out. That was the most transparent I've ever seen. Allegedly, uh, there's a list of qualified judges for complicated cases, and whoever's next up on the list, they get the case. I, I don't have a lot of confidence that that's exactly what happens. Um, but, you know, it, there's, there's really no way to question it. I mean, on occasion, lawyers have been like, look, I want to know how this judge was selected. It's happened on appeal as well when judges are just so they still have their thumb on the scales of justice. Um, you're talking about a judge in Washington who I know you know this, Anthony, who when the government charged some of these January 6th people, they said, OK, all this person did was take a selfie in front of the Capitol and what was going on. We don't we think they should plead guilty, but they shouldn't get any jail. And the judge still sent them to jail. 30 days, 45 days. So you can tell where this judge's head is at and regarding January 6th. And a federal judge has so much discretion. 
much more so than a state judge does on what comes into evidence and what doesn't come into evidence. So he is definitely not in friendly territory. And even in Florida, look, that judge is appointed for life. Even though she was appointed by Donald Trump, her allegiance to him is gone now. The same can be said with the justices on the Supreme Court. Like they they don't owe him any. It's not like they have to be reappointed. You know, the judges here in the state, some of them have to be reappointed every 10 years, some of them every 14 years. Here they're on for life. So they can tell Donald Trump, go take a walk. I don't need to worry about you anymore. I'm not saying that's what they're going to do. Well, except except we now know in 2023 that your path to to promotion to working your way up the ladder is fealty to your team, to fealty to the Federalist Society if you're on the right, fealty to whatever Lawrence Tribe school of thinking if you're on the right. But I, I do think that, that you know, everyone can't have it, people can't have it both ways. They can't say, oh, I love this system when it pulls a, a friendly judge for Trump in Florida, but I hate the system when it pulls a more difficult judge in Washington. And I love the fact that a grand jury in Florida, a jury, look, this jury in Florida, just if I'm not mistaken, that you just need one holdout who's a Trump supporter. And, right. and, 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 and in Washington, I mean, this whole talk about venue, is he is there any chance that that this venue that they'll be successful in changing the venue in, in D.C.? Because a lot of a lot of people have made the arguments before him. A lot of these thousand some odd people that have been tried, many of them brought motions to have this moved out of D.C. and they weren't successful. Do you see any chance that that uh, Trump will be successful? The answer to that question is no. And I just want to back up in terms of the the judges. The part that bothers me is the lack of transparency on how, like, to answer your question. You heard anywhere, and I know how well read you are, anywhere about how these judges were picked. Has anyone said, yeah, they went into a wheel, or yeah, there's a list, and that was the next judge up. That That's what troubles me, because the judges have so much power and so much influence. And just getting back to the federal judge, and I know what you're saying. I mean, if you want to be on the, the appellate court, you have to play for the team. But you also can't be so in the in the bag of Donald Trump if you're that Florida judge that you lose all credibility. Once you lose that credibility, it doesn't matter that you played for the team. You, you're, you won't maintain enough credibility to be elevated. So I think the judges are going to probably – they're going to lean in one direction or the other, but they're going to put themselves first and their reputation first. And um, in, in both cases, that does not – sit well with Donald Trump. I mean, look, Anthony, when I listened to your show from past this Saturday, and you know, I agreed with with the majority of what you said, um, any lawyer who's out there commenting right now, like, oh, this is no big deal, or you know, he's gonna be fine, they're just wrong. <laughs> this is no, but but Arthur, there's a different thing that goes on. And and you and I, we neither one of us, this is our first you know, radio is not our first career. You're a, a, a established yourself as a lawyer. I was in politics. People go on conservative outlets saying what they want their audience to hear, even if they're really smart lawyers and know better. That's the only point yeah. I was making. That's why, I'm, that's you, why you and I are outliers on our, <laughs> right, our right. respective right. stations. But let me let me just just returning a, a, a little bit to to some of the 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 tactics, some of the tactics here. And by the way, just to, on this notion of, of judges, and you didn't mention this, so I will, and you helped defend me in my case. And the judge that we wound up, the which judge we pulled was the difference between going to prison and not, bottom line. And 
And there are there are a handful of judges that that you and and Arlo Devlin Brown, who 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 also did an amazing job helping, said if you pull these five or six judges, you're going to be okay. If you pull these 10, 15 judges, you're going to be in trouble. And if you pull these three or four judges, you're not going to see Jordan again for a very long time. So so I I totally get and that. Pulled, and you pulled from that last group. Well, you okay, but but judge. But but try to make our, our listeners understand a, a little bit of how much will be different when you're Donald Trump as a defendant and how much he's going to go through the barrel just like every other defendant. Like, you know, he made these remarks over this past weekend, these chippy remarks on his social media account. And so there was a there was a hearing and there's going to be rules put up around what he can and can't say. Now, that's not different than it would be if I was just a regular civilian. And I was threatening a a witness just by calling him up on the phone. I mean, there are rules that are consistent throughout the system, but it is going to be different when you're the president of the United States, I imagine, isn't it? Yeah, well, let's start with um, even before jury selection. There'll be motions made by both sides about what either side is allowed to say and comment on. And like the lowest hanging fruit in that category is the prosecutor is going to make uh, motions to the judge before jury is even picked that Donald Trump's team cannot talk about the Biden investigation, Hunter Biden's investigation, papers that are found in, in, in the Joe Biden's garages, Corvette, whatever. So, I mean, those those are the types of motions that you'll see here that that are pretty typical. Um, you know, the, the, the prosecutor always makes a motion to the judge. Well, you know, they can't talk about the government's, uh, like in, why the government brought these charges. So hypothetically, there could be financial gains for the government if they win this case. Like they, so they try to set the rules of the game early, and that'll be typical. What what should not be typical is jury selection. In federal court, the lawyers do not get to speak to the jurors. They get to ask. They get to give the judge questions. They want the judge to ask the jurors. They get to help create a questionnaire, questionnaire that the jurors fill out. But the judge determines the actual questions. In a case like this, and, and this is what I did when I tried Lawrence Taylor's case in the Southern District of New York, you have to have one-on-one juror questioning, and the lawyer should be able to speak, because this is a case that is so in the public view. Right. I mean, almost everyone has an opinion on it. I mean, yes, it is some little subsection that maybe doesn't read the paper, doesn't listen to anything, and doesn't know what's going on, but you really need to vet um, the jury. And in terms of you, you asked earlier about the change of venue. When um, before I started the Harvey Weinstein trial, I guess it was like August, the case is supposed to start in September or something like that. There's a rule you can't put in a change of venue motion within a certain amount of time. So I go into the appellate division to file the papers to move it out of Manhattan because Manhattan was the, the ground zero for Me Too and Time's Up and Oprah and all of that stuff. So we wanted to move it anywhere outside of Manhattan. You know, even the Bronx was was fine. I think we asked for Albany. Um, So when I go and hand in the document, I say, I know the clerk um, for a long time. And we're talking. He doesn't know what what paper I have in my hand. I go, oh, it's a change of venue motion. And he's like, okay, you do this, you do this, get the stamp. He takes it, Anthony, and when he he looks at it and says, the people of the state of New York versus Harvey Weinstein, he looks at me and goes, what are you crazy? He goes, where do you want the change of venue to be? Mars? Yeah. Goes, Everybody knows about this case. You're never going to find a jury that's like not tainted by this case. And obviously the same would be true even more so for Donald Trump. 
So, I mean, the only thing that Trump would have in his favor is saying, look, jurors are typically chosen by the voter register, by the voter logs. And the voters in this neighborhood, in this community, were 90% against them. You probably know the exact numbers, or whatever is 88 to 12. And it is so obviously stacked against him, that's impossible for him to get a fair trial here. And if the judge did change venue, she would probably go with the venue change. You say, okay, fine. If the numbers are so insanely skewed against you, and since we get the jurors from the registered voters, we'll move it to, I don't know, Virginia or somewhere where right. it's a little closer. But she would she would hold on to the case and move herself into that venue because unless she didn't want the hot potato, uh, she probably would want the limelight to be there. Interesting. Let me just ask one final question. I really do appreciate you taking so much time. And I don't know if you've given this much thought. Do you think the constitutional power that the president has to pardon extends to him pardoning himself? Have you given that any thought? There's, I mean, if I look at it as an originalist, um, there's nothing in there saying he can't. There's no precedent saying that he can't. Well, if you look at it as an originalist, there's no way that the the founding fathers in the Federalist Papers, conceived of a president indemnifying himself from a, from accountability. And I would say it's kind of the other way around. The real originalist theory would be, if you think of what the founding fathers might have been thinking, did they really want to give him, they were trying to give him the power of mercy. I don't think they were trying to give him the power to obstruct justice against himself. But a true originalist doesn't look at what the intent was. It looks at what the text is and what the text is and, and what it meant at the time that it was written. So at the time that it was written, if it says president has the power to pardon any citizen of the United States of America, period. Well, then it doesn't say except himself. Right. It say except himself. It would say except himself. I know you and I disagree about this, but I think one of the bigger questions down the road from a, with the crystal ball in front of me is if whomever the next president is going to be, uh, if it's not Donald Trump, uh, do they, for the interest of the country, and he gets sentenced to jail time, do they say, well, I'm not going to pardon him. He's still a convicted federal felon, but I'm going to commute his sentence for the best interest of the country. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't rape anyone. There's no violence here. You know, he's well, there, well, there was there was plenty of violence, but well, you, um, you know, the type of violence that. Right. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think that any and I would put that in the category of a plea bargain, any plea bargain that he does, whether it be pre trial pre or or as part of a um, an agreement that he, deal. it would have to be that he he agrees not to run for office because the whole idea is to keep him away from the seat of government as he's shown this like that that, that I think is the obvious deal that they could do in the in the documents case since the concern is about him showing that he doesn't take care of these documents fine we'll drop the case you have to agree not to run but um that's hard to do listen author idal i encourage everyone within the sound of my voice to listen to your program it's a great one you get a little bit of everything a lot of new york new york culture new york nightlife new york health you get so you get a lot of car talk you guys talk a lot about cars i don't quite understand that side of it but I'm also it's my hobby that you do i know hobby, I, do cars. I, I know and you also do you also do a little bit about nice things to imbibe after hours it's a very yeah. eclectic it's a very eclectic and great program arthur adala uh, i am uh, really thrilled that you're with us and i really appreciate you joining us today on the middle unplugged pleasure's all mine keep up the great work i enjoy listening to you all the time thank you 
Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. Welcome back to The Middle Unplugged. This is the part of the program where we take questions, we dip into our mailbag, sometimes we look online to see what people are commenting about, and sometimes we take comments that are made by other elected officials or other commentators on the radio or television and try to clap back at them. We call it Ask Anthony Anything. In this case, the uh, query comes in the form of something that, frankly, we have seen over and over again, and that is Larry T., lists a whole different juxtapositions of times that news was coming out about Hunter Biden, that it was seemingly supplanted by indictments of Donald Trump or something else. And he says, are you blind or are you covering for the Biden crime family? And in this case, he was referring to the latest bombshell that turned out not to be much of a bombshell. The House Oversight Committee heard from a guy called Devin Archer, who was a business associate of Hunter Biden, And I've been covering the Hunter Biden story. I think that even my fiercest critic would have to admit that I have been. One of the earliest episodes of the radio show was about the Biden case, and I have stayed on top of it, often to the chagrin of many of the listeners to my show and podcast. And so there it is. The Devin Archer was supposed to be another big bombshell that happened. They interviewed him for hours to try to find out what he knew about the dealings that Hunter Biden had. And most importantly, let's remember what the allegation is. The allegation made by the Republicans is that Hunter Biden involved his father and enriched his father and his father was paid bribes and all these different types of things. When in fact, for the longest time, I have held steadfast ever since the first time I took a look, a hard look at the Hunter Biden laptop to say that it's not very flattering for Hunter Biden. It looks like he trades on his father's name. It looks like he was willing to take money from almost anywhere. And of course, I'm not even talking about the stuff about him being in active addiction and all that goes with that. So Devin Archer comes and he testifies and frankly confirms just about everything that I just said. Said that Hunter Biden was definitely trading on his dad's name, was definitely trying to give the... uh, full benefit of the Biden name when, ra- when raising money for his companies and trying to, uh, to get people to hire him. Um, but when it came to the next level of the question, was Joe Biden involved? Was he the big guy? Was he involved in any of the deals? Was he getting any of the money? Again and again, when Devin Archer was asked about this, the answer was not very satisfying to Republicans, unless the objective was just to embarrass Hunter Biden. And by the way, for all of this talk about how inf- inf- uh, the, 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 it, trying to influence the election by waiting to now to indict Donald Trump, well, they're doing all this Hunter Biden stuff. Clearly, that has to do with the election as well. So I just wanted to read you. You don't have to read the hours of transcripts 
to hear that then the bottom line is that the key witness here does not back up the Republicans' allegation. I'll read you just a couple of clips. This is a question, and this is a deposition that was behind closed doors, so all we have is the printed text. Um, so again, this was about projecting this illusion of access to his father. Is that right? And then Devon Archer says, correct. And, and, and then the question says, and then, you know, we talked, you talked about during the Republicans of hours of questioning. And during this hours of questioning about Hunter Biden's various ventures with you, he said, uh-huh. And then went on to say, is it fair to say that these conversations um, that they asked you where Hunter Biden and Joe Biden on the phone around his business partners is that there is nothing in those conversations beyond the exchange of pleasantry, pleasantries. And then Archer says, that's correct. And then the question is, we talked earlier about kind of Hunter Biden liking to project this image, this illusion of access to his father. And then Devin Archer says, uh-huh. And was this part of his effort to say, hey, I'm Joe Biden's son, and I talk to Joe Biden a lot. And uh, uh, Devin Archer says, that's correct. And then here's another question. Are you ever, were you ever privy to any conversation between Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, which they discussed how, and then before he even finishes the question, Archer says, no. He says, Joe Biden would, and Archer says, no. Take official actions on behalf of Hunter Biden. And uh, uh, Devin Archer says, no. Is it fair to say, the questioner asks, that Hunter Biden was selling the illusion of access to his father? And the answer is yes. So but to be honest with you, this always seemed like the most logical way this all went down, that when Joe Biden wanted to be helpful to his son, maybe hopped on the phone and said hello every once in a while, but was not involved with his business dealings in any way, probably felt like, I hope my son gets his act together, that kind of a feeling, but certainly was not, uh, or at least there's no evidence that he was involved in the, the Hunter Biden business at all. Now, does that mean Hunter Biden doesn't look bad? Does it mean that he didn't pay his taxes and he's probably going to have to now pay a fine? Does, does it mean that he didn't lie on a gun application? No, he certainly did. But the larger implication, the Biden crime family, which the Republicans are trying to place on kind of equal footing of Donald Trump's um, uh, fomenting insurrection and trying to overturn the results of the election and his mishandling documents and and having fake electors and raping a woman, all of those things. I don't think they've really succeeded, but I said I would keep you up to date on the Hunter Biden thing. So there you go. So I do appreciate you joining us this week. If you'd like to be part of Ask Anthony Anything, if you'd like to send uh, a tweet to at Rep Wiener, it's Anthony D. Wiener on uh, Facebook, uh, wienerwabc at gmail.com. And you can always tune into my Saturday radio show, The Middle, where you can actually pick up the phone and call us and, and talk on the air about the things that you're interested in. That's on uh, at 2 o'clock on Saturdays, then 3 o'clock is Left versus Right with Curtis Lee. Well, both of those are available as podcasts just as this is. I really do appreciate all of your support. I want to thank Eric Salas, our sound designer and producer, for all the great work, and Arthur Adala for uh, being our guest on this on this episode. And this marks the end of The Middle Unplugged.
Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L. On Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.